Welcome everybody to our very first podcast and we are in the process of developing a name for this podcast and we have a few of them on the table but we're going to do our first one kind of name free because we have not decided what the name of this podcast the is. The No Name Podcast. So right now it's the No Name Recovery Podcast for lack of a better term and I think in today's podcast we'd like to take a little time to tell you for me to tell you about myself for Betsy to tell you about herself or maybe I'll spend time telling you what I know about Betsy. I want to talk a little bit about the MHAB Life Skills Campus, which is where this podcast is originating. We want to talk about what the podcast would like to be going forward and and what we're going to do in the future. Does that sound good? Sounds like a plan, Mike. All right. So, yes, they affectionately call me MHAB Mike. My name is Mike Carpenter, and I am a member of the addiction recovery community and have been for well over 30 years. I'm also a member of the mental health recovery community and have been for probably more than 30 years and I could probably give you a whole bunch of other ills that I have that I'm in recovery from but this is an all things recovery podcast and in order to show you that I think I'm qualified to sit here and talk to you about it I wanted to tell you about my recovery and Betsy who is not in recovery but is my business partner and probably should be in recovery or could be in recovery for a variety of things. I only have to recover from the fact that you're my business partner every day is my sidekick at this podcast so Betsy introduce yourself Betsy Vicencio I am uh, Mike's business partner in the MHAB adventure that we are on I it's true I am not in recovery um, although I am a the proud mother of uh, of one of my daughters seven years seven and a half years in recovery and I work with you every day for the past 15 years and let me tell you, my life is fully immersed in recovery. And three or four of your six exes were like addicts, right? Absolutely. I had a, I had a, 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 you know, I had a thing for the addicts. You know, I like, I like the, I like the fixer-upper model. That's why we hit it off. You, <laughs> you, you like me right out of the gate. I You're did. Like, yeah, he's a fixer-upper. I Look knew, you, I knew you needed all the help <laughs> you could <laughs> you get. Well you were right that. in my wheelhouse. <laughs> you were, you were absolutely all that in a bag of chips. Don't you have a younger daughter, too? I do. She's the healthy one, though. So, yeah, so we say. We call her the healthy one. We like her. She's pretty cool. You know? We're all in recovery from something. There's not one of us that is not afflicted with some ale that we are not trying, we're struggling with or trying to work through. So, yeah. So we're glad to be doing this podcast, seeing what we can do to make it better. So let's talk a little bit about MHAB and what MHAB is and, and uh, why we're MHAB. here today. So MHAB is a, a life skills campus in way, way, way upstate New York in Plattsburgh. Plattsburgh, New York. It was designed to help people bridge the gap between treatment effectively and uh, or Treatment, I guess, is the best way to phrase it, but treatment or some other place of despair, uh, and then getting back into living in what we would consider a normal life. And, you know, treatment when it comes to addiction or mental health does a great job, but it does a great job in a very finite way. Sure. And, you know, you have halfway houses and three-quarter houses and sober living communities and places like that that people can go to. That's still also a finite 
uh, a finite place and and we wanted to be that next logical kind of soft place for people to land so that we could help kind of spread out the length of time they could get in recovery from whatever it is to where they could actually live and function totally in society so we're not trying to do anything special other than offer more supports for people in a less clinical setting I guess would be the the best way and a quick synopsis of the campus it is a 140 bed uh, former air base dormitory setting um, with a dining hall, an institutional teaching kitchen, gardens, a greenhouse, a state-of-the-art gym, a recovery center on site, 12-step meetings, other recovery meetings. It, it's kind of the hub for what we consider all, all things, things recovery. recovery. Yep. It's a transitional housing model, so it is a dorm room effectively. Um, and the people are allowed to live there for up to two years. And, and we thought that that was a, a good starting point. And it was a little um, off in the way of what most people think of doing this kind of a life skills campus. And I, I think when we set it up, that's why we don't call it just housing or just treatment or any of those things. We call it a life skills campus because we teach or try to teach all things life skills. We have, we have a banker. Sure, we have a banker, right? We have employment yeah. services that come and yeah. help people get jobs. But I, want, I, I think of all the things, Mike, one of the most important pieces of what we did, and, and I think that access to services for so many people in early recovery has been a big barrier to helping people at least get as, as much help as they possibly can, right? If you're, if you're just out of rehab and you're living, you know, 10 miles out outside of town or, up, you know, two miles outside of town, at least up here in the North Country, transportation, if you don't have a driver's license, is, it's just not, it's not seamless. It's, it's some effort. And for us at the MHAB Life Skills Campus, we brought services that will come onto campus so literally people can walk from their front door across the across the parking lot to the recovery community center to get to get help um, to have somebody to talk to to get employment services financial services anything that they need we tried to make available to them right on campus to just make it easier oh and wait we have a really cool convenience store on campus yeah, we too. Do. it's a, yeah. a healthy and options only we stay away from selling you know no booze no cigarettes no, <laughs> no lottery, lottery tickets, tickets. <laughs> none of the none of the stuff that could drive somebody <laughs> like me over the edge yeah. so we, we stay away from that no but sodas it's, it's very cool because we have Trevor Lachlan, who is like a, a at least a Plattsburgh renowned, <laughs> you know, five-star chef, who's our cook, and and he does a fabulous job of prepare, preparing to-go meals. Trevor, ten years in recovery, center. twenty something. Trevor, no, yeah, he's twenty something now. Um, is yeah, he? he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's 20. Oh, so. Telly, you're 10 years in recovery. And we have recovery. our cameraman here, Telly. He's, he's the 10. 10 years that's in recovery. He's 10 in recovery. And then we have Bryn. She's like 10 years old. So that's the group, <laughs> <laughs> that's the group of us that are kind of doing the MHAB, uh, the MHAB thing. So yes, the MHAB Life Skills Campus is cool. You can go online at MHAB.org and take a look at it. See there's what we're doing. There's a narrated tour, and there's a whole lot of things on there that you can do. Um, we'd encourage anybody to go on and take a look at the website, you know, peruse around let us know what you think we're always looking for that hey before you go go yes. can we just while we're here talking about him if you want to talk about some of the successes that have happened at MHAB like right part of what we did was we helped in addition to being a transitional housing program for people in recovery not just from substance use disorder um, or mental illness but people that are struggling you know with uh, poverty well we had a huge success right in the beginning we bought this 
facility without me killing you. <laughs> that's like successful. So we've, you know, we've had many. So that was like a huge success. Every that, you know, day we survive without killing that each other is a good day. One in the wind column. It's a success. But Check. yes, we've had, you know what, we've had, if you live in the world of addiction and recovery, you recognize that the successes happen probably less frequently than yeah. the failures do. And so you, and, and you hate to call them failures because oftentimes it just takes people a number of chances and a number of opportunities. And you never know which one of those is gonna be. But we have had a couple of specific instances of people that have come to our facility um, really down on their luck, right out of rehab, no family, no job, really not much in the way of uh, skills that they had garnered or, or things that they had forgotten, uh, who have come and flourished and, and lived with us for a year, a little over a year, got entrenched in a recovery program, made some connections. Yeah. Um, one of them became a recovery coach and now works at one of the recovery centers as a recovery coach. Uh, another one hadn't worked for a number of years and, and worked for us for a while and has moved on. So we think that what we're trying to do has worked in the case of those successes. The other thing is, you know, we're a, kind of a, we are an alcohol, drug, and violence and judgment-free facility, but we're not a zero-tolerance place. Like, we, I mean, we are, but we're not. Like, we're, we're, I guess the way to phrase it is we're zero-tolerance with love. Like, we're not throwing somebody out who just, you know, smokes pot one night and then comes to us and says, look, I screwed up last night. I was out with a group and I got high, but I'm back in recovery and I'm trying to do this. You know, we're trying to make sure that it's a, it's a safe environment for people and that we recognize that, you know, struggles are part of it. So we I think just through both your experience, your personal experience, as well as the hundreds upon hundreds of people that you've helped in recovery, that that early recovery piece, it's just, it's not an easy path. And it's, you know, it's, you don't just suddenly say, I'm in recovery and it's just fine. I mean, there are false starts and there are, uh, there are a lot of them. And there are a lot of recovery places that say, oh, one and done and you're out. And that's, and that's, their, that's their platform. And for us, we are trying desperately to, to really figure out how we continue to, to put enough services, help, support, love in front of people that, uh, that you know, we're going to get them there. It's such a delicate balancing act in dealing with people because it's a, you know, the disease of addiction or even mental illness, it, it's, it's insidious because oftentimes people that are in active addiction especially use it as a way of manipulating people who are trying to help them. Sure. So there's a there's a dark sure. underside to it and you know you're trying to to walk that very fine line of not throwing somebody out who just made a mistake but making sure we keep the integrity of the place that people that are trying to be in recovery. And we've done a pretty good job of that. You know, we have staff that is familiar with recovery. They're familiar with, you know, the people that we're gonna be dealing with. So we think that we've done a lot of good things and, and it would be remiss to not put in there that, you know, we're partnered with 35, 36, 38 different agencies in this area who all provide some kind of resource yeah. for us. Some have actual services on site. Others are just kind of, you know, advisory places for us, but they've all jumped on and been willing to help so it, you know they resources for us yeah, and yeah. resources yeah. for our for our people yeah. I mean it's it's been wonderful and I think that I think MHAB has done an awful lot to bring all of the support services together um, whether physically on campus or just to really kind of um, uh, broker that that concept of of of, of uh, a community collaborating with all of their individual services 
collaborating in a way to, to make things better, to make them work, because everybody really, I think, has an intention to want to work together, and MHAB has been a great vehicle for that. It really has. So that's kind of the MHAB campus, and then we were thinking about what else we could do, and there's blogs on the, on the MHAB site, and a lot of our yeah. friends and people that we know have written blogs, and they're good, but we started talking about, you know, could we do a podcast, and, and then you know, we said, what do we want the podcast to be? And so we have some younger people on our team that watch a lot of podcasts. And, you know, I'm one of the ancient guys, so I don't necessarily watch a lot of them, but I've watched them. And I, I think what we what we wanted to do with a podcast is we wanted to show you kind of a glimpse inside of what recovery is for somebody in recovery and a parent who has a, a child in recovery. We wanted to have some fun doing this. We wanted to be informative. Um, we wanted to have some guests and, and and we just wanted to kind of have a free-flowing conversation that really might not center around any agenda, but with the hope that it will help people, that it will show people the way into recovery. And I, I want to, before you jump in, I want to tell you, so I, I have a bunch of, you know, favorite speeches that I've heard over the years and things, but probably my most favorite speech of all time, and if you haven't seen this, I would ask you to go on YouTube and watch it, is Jim Valvano's ESPY speech right before he died of cancer. And uh, in his speech, he talked about everybody doing three things in their life every day. And he said, you should always laugh, find mm -hmm. joy and humor in what you're doing. You should find some time to think and, uh, and be productive. And you should allow your emotions to be moved to tears. And he said, if you can do all those three things in one day, you'll have a really productive day. And I would love this podcast to be, for people to watch this podcast and to be able to laugh to be able to think and gain some real knowledge out of what we're talking about, and to be able to be moved by moved to tears by the things that we're talking about. And if those three things happen out of any one of our podcasts, I would consider those successful. And I think that sometimes they might be more humorous, sometimes they might be more serious, um, you know, sometimes they might be caustic. So you know, a, a lot of it depends on mine and Betsy's mood. You know, I'm pretty stable. Betsy tends to be <laughs> up and down from time to time. So. Caustic, sarcastic, yeah. so, jackass-like. Yeah, there are a bunch so of So I, I think that those are those are the things that we really want to focus on with regards to this. And our, our plan is to sometimes bring guests in, sometimes not bring guests in. And we really are, are putting kind of an uh, agenda together. And, and probably at the time that we're done this, we'll have it on the website and you'll be able to throw out ideas or things that you want to see. Um, we'll bring people from recovery in. We'll bring parents who've lost kids in. We'll bring suicide survivors, you know, you name it. We're not afraid to kind of cross the threshold of things that people don't want to talk about. It's never been something that we've shied away from. So I want to talk about, can I just bring yeah. that topic up? I mean, one of the greatest missions of MHAB is to destigmatize mm -hmm. recovery to destigmatize addiction and mental illness. And the only way you take things like that out of the closet is that you talk about it. And you talk about it and it's people, real people like you and I, mm -hmm. that are, you know, we have a day business beside MHAB. I mean, we run a very successful company, a business mm -hmm. that has been in business for 40 years. We have 50 employees. We, uh, we you know, we're real people that do real things. We're mm -hmm. great contributors in our community. And we both have huge, what would be, you know, recovery would be a super secret. Oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about the things, my, my, my daughter, the heroin addict. I mean, if I want to be a person within society, do I want everybody to know my personal business about her addiction and those struggles? But it's real. 
It's real and it's, and, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just an is. And if we can all get comfortable with talking about these topics, we can help make... Well, it's such a, they're such dark topics. You know, for most people who don't are not afflicted with it, it's a very dark topic. And everybody just thinks if we just bury it under the bed, we won't have to worry about it. And, you know, if you look at the American Medical Association who categorized addiction as a disease many years ago, obviously mental illness is a, is a disease. Suicide is an incredibly awful affliction that most people who have somebody close to them who commit suicide never recover from. Um, those things are, are incredibly difficult. And if somebody has cancer or, or heart disease or something, everybody's willing to talk about them having cancer and how strong they are and how courageous they are. But somebody who battles addiction or depression or those things somehow doesn't get the same credibility. And I, I would throw out to you that I think they certainly deserve at least the same credibility and maybe not more, but it is difficult to be in recovery because you throw in the fact that you have the illness as well as you have the stigma and the things that are carried around by people in society about what kind of a person you are, typically because of the behaviors that go with the sure. illness. You sure. know, if you think about my own personal story, I never set out to hurt anybody. I never went out of my way to harm people. But when I wanted to get high and I was in the throes of addiction, I would do anything to anybody at any time to be able to get high. I know from personal story with your daughter, the same thing, and, and we and I know Bridget really well, we are not evil people, right. but boy, when we're in the throes of that, it, it forces us to do things that we typically would not do. And, and so what we wanna do here is continue to shed light on those things and normalize it. And, and you know, I've been fortunate that I've had some success in my life and I've garnered a, you know, done some things that apparently have been deemed decent in society. And, and so I don't love being the poster child necessarily for recovery <laughs> or whatever, but I, have but I love the fact that I, I have a little bit of a voice to be able to show people that you can change, you can become a different human being and you can do things and, and become a member of society that's respected like other people who aren't afflicted. Well, I think that your story, just like many people's stories, gives not only the individuals but their families hope that, you know, my daughter who is an addict can, you know, there's, there is a, there's a tomorrow that is, you know, that is a, a bright and beautiful future if we can help our families or our loved ones navigate through recovery and it's it I mean it's a long road but there's a you give people inspiration that you know some schmo that is you know a, an alcoholic and a, a crack addict and you know did you just use the word schmo on our schmo. podcast what's wrong with schmo do we know what a schmo is <laughs> yeah the other thing that, the other thing that we're going to do can you do you see my sweatshirt telly is my sweatshirt on there so I, I have become kind of infamous or famous, depending on your point of view, for wearing sweatshirts that present messages. So I'm gonna try to find a different hoodie. I have about 20 or 25 of them now, so I'll continue to buy other ones. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear, if you tune in for anything, tune in to see how much more caustic my sweatshirt that I'm wearing every week. There be. are some very spicy sweatshirts so, that he has in his repertoire. This one's actually pretty tame. This one's not bad. In my yeah. defense, I was left unsupervised. Well, yeah, and I pulled yeah, this little thing We off. so know that you need adult supervision every day. That's why you have me. I'm your voice of <laughs> reason. Yes, I shouldn't be in my head without <laughs> another adult. That's a really <laughs> Absolutely scary, don't want to be in there. That's place. a scary place to be. So I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll probably bring some of the locals on and maybe we'll expand it and bring some non-locals on as well. And You know, Mike, when you, um, 
I remember the United Way breakfast where you told your recovery story when you were the speaker. When you stood up and talked about your addiction and your path to recovery, you inspired so many people that were prominent members of this business community and recovery community come out of the shadows about their stories too. It was a defining moment for our our entire community in starting to pull back the, the layers of shame that have, have really gathered around around people in recovery, it was, it was a meaningful moment. So I think we want to do more of that. I mean, I hate to give you credit for changing the world, but all right, I'm have Mike, here you go. But it was a good, it was a big thing that you did. It was really good. Well, I think that the, it, it, it is truthful that when you can get people, I think that it's important to do it and not to try to glamorize it, not to try to get sympathy or none. We don't do any of those things. We're talking about it with the hope that somewhere down the road, somebody will hear something that we say whether it's in a humorous way, a serious way, a sad way, whatever it is, that will click, that will help them to be able to deal with whatever they have going on. You know, one of the things that I think American society did wrong years ago was putting shows like, you know, Beaver Cleaver and that on television because I don't believe that that there are families, at least in America, that realistically live like that. Every family, when you pull the the curtain away, has some stuff that goes on and, and we're all so ashamed to be willing to talk about that we want the 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 image that we present to be this image of oh I have it all together meanwhile inside you know we could be dying or struggling with something that would become so much less burdensome if we were able to just speak about it publicly with other people and you know if we can do some of that I think we've achieved a a pretty good level of success. So I want to talk about our company, our day business company for a minute. So the Northeast Group, uh, we've been in business, like I said, for 41 years. Do you think that for the most part, uh, our, our community um, uh, respects our business and, and, you know, kind of thinks of us as a, as a, a a good employer in the region? I do think, I will tell you that, so I'm a member of the Spark Coalition and the Spark Steering Committee, and one of the things that we put together a couple years ago was a, a roundtable forum where we brought employers into a roundtable discussion with treatment providers and law enforcement to talk about addiction, and specifically addiction in the workplace. And what you found, what we found was that so many employers had a very limited understanding of what addiction really was, um, what treatment really was, and what how they handled their workforce that are struggling with that. And so it was one of the issues with people not being willing to take chances on people that have a criminal uh, history recovery. as a result yep. of addiction or yep. any of those things. So I think that we've done a great job over the last couple of years in getting our very small community, Plattsburgh, to recognize the, the issues around employment or lack of employment. And yes, some of that is spearheaded by us. And you and I have talked about this, Betsy, and it's not to you know designed to blow our own horn, but we, we do when we hire people for the most part ask for the worst of the worst yep. like we that's the phrase that I use and I, I use it somewhat tongue-in-cheek because for me that's what I considered myself that's what I felt like when I came into the workforce I had incredibly checkered attendance records I had you know some criminal history I was you know probably had appointments you had to uh, had to go and you didn't want to tell your employer you were embarrassed yeah. about the fact I've got to go to probation or parole right. and instead of saying it, you just yeah. call out sick these are yeah. behaviors that lend itself to that shame that that people in recovery feel. so people wind up just not going to work because they say it's you know it's it's too burdensome and so we've really tried to sh shed the light on that and you know we have a a lot of people here well 
when we say the worst of the worst, I mean, we got you 50 Hell years yeah. Ago, so and listen, we, you know, you're the, look, you're the, look, look what we did. You're the head of the organization. Right, I mean, right. we got I mean, to start, any, we gotta start with the bottom of the barrel right. before we build an, right. you know, build you this know, organization. You, you ask people that knew me 35 years ago, Mike Carpenter is going to be the president of a, <laughs> of a business and anywhere and probably be a, you know. President he, of the drug runners of I-87. President of the gang on B-12 at Danamora or whatever is what they were thinking. But. I, uh, so, but, what, but I, I want to say about this part about our company. So I think that we're a reasonably well-respected employer, and we're a, 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 I'm going to say we're potentially an employer of choice. But in our organization, I'm telling you what, we have made recovery cool. There is, in fact, I mean, there are so many people that work for our organization that are in recovery that, that it feels like, for those of us that are not in recovery, you're not part of the cool kids we if you're a, not in recovery. We had a woman who made that comment yeah. at, one of the, at one of the management meetings one time. She said, I almost wish I was in recovery because then I could be part of the in crowd. Part like, of I'm the not, cool kids. I'm not in recovery. I'm not one of the cool <laughs> kids, you know? And I told her, I said, well, we'd certainly welcome you. You need to go drink yourself into oblivion and lose everything that you've ever had in your life, and then right. you can come be a member sure, of recovery. Like, sure, it's, you know, why not? But it's... <laughs> but I think it's interesting because the reality is I don't think that there's a family out there that's not afflicted with it and uh, a family or and, and I don't think that there are employers that are, are are walking around with a staff that are completely free from any type of, of problems like these. Yeah. We just happen to make it okay. We happen to make it okay okay to talk about, okay to, to you know, okay to, to, you know, to ask for help or okay to, to, to be transparent about it. And what that does, it allow it gives people the confidence, I think, to be able to grow through those troubles. And in, and in fairness, you know, we have some inside knowledge because I'm in recovery, you're familiar with it. Yeah. So it's, it's a little easier for us. You know, I, I'll talk about, you know, one specific employer and they're good friends of ours, the people who run Moldrite. Yeah, Moldrite has done, done some incredible great things work. around addiction and recovery without really understanding it at the level that, that I do. And I'm, I'm so appreciative for guys like that that are willing willing to say, yeah, we like what you're doing. We'll take a chance on that. And that's what you need is you need companies that are willing to say, if I can look beyond the problems that he's had in the past or she's had in the past, and I can recognize that in the first few months or year of their recovery, they might need some time off to go to drug court, to go to therapy, to go to treatment, whatever the case is. If when I get them over that, what they become to me is so valuable that it's worth it. That's the that's the the piece uh, you know that's so important. Moldrite uh, brings some of the the probation officers yeah. and parole officers yeah. on site, so their employees don't have to leave. Yeah, they, they can yeah. come and conduct their meetings right on site. I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah, they are incredibly brilliant. understanding with, and they're not. We shouldn't only single them out. They're not the only employer in this area. They're just one that we happen to know because we've been right. so intimately involved with them. Um, but there are a dozen or more of those kinds of yeah. employers in this area. So I think that we're doing a good job uh, of, of kind of knocking down the walls to the stigma that, that goes with this. Um, stigma is a powerful force, and if you can change that, if mm -hmm. we can be part of the, the, the inertia that changes that, we're going to do, it, it'll be a big deal. And it'll the other thing, thing that you realize, you know, sometimes people who aren't afflicted with this misunderstand the way that people like me speak or other people that are in recovery. You know, we, I literally was on death's door. Like it was, I was 26 years old and, and probably didn't have a lot of years left if I had kept going. And so there's a great deal of almost self-deprecating humor 
about where our life was and where it is. You know, I have a, a good friend of mine who, you know, put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. And, you know, Thank he's God. alive and sober, you know, 20 plus years now. And we joke about it now. And people go, there is nothing humorous about that. And it's like, no, in and of itself, there's nothing humorous about it. But there's a great deal of humor in the fact that we're so fortunate to have been given the second chance and then we made something out of it and we can't live in this morbid reflection of what it of what you know what it was or any of that we have to live in this idea that life is just a hoop like it really is just and there's great healing and laughter you know if you can't take some of your darkest moments and turn them around and figure out how to laugh about it not that not not to diminish it or to or to trivialize it but you know you got to have some humor in your trauma so that you can you can I know, I remember the second time I brought Bridget, your daughter, to rehab (laughs) for the second time, and we were laughing about how bad a mom you were. It was was hysterical. We were having a ton of fun at your your expense, you know? Was that when you said, you know, Bridget, the reason you're an addict is because of your mother? I did. I I I, think you probably... That was how I got her into rehab. She needed somebody to blame, and I said, well, then we're going to blame your mother. If you'll go to rehab, it's your mom's fault. That's fine. Guilty as charged. Doesn't she continue to tell you that you continue to be a disappointment so this is this is my latest line i am a continued source of disappointment for you yes yes for her and the rest of my family so i am the reason i'm the i am a continued source of disappointment for you and i'm so happy you're a part of my life look at me i'm like i feel better now i got i irritated you all of a sudden i feel better that's awesome jackass so we're gonna wrap up this first edition of the of the m have we don't know what the hell we're gonna no name podcast, and the have podcast. But we're going to come up with something really cool that we're going to call this. Yeah. And hopefully you'll come watch us because I have a very fragile ego. And if Bryn says to me after three podcasts that we've only got six people watching, I'm going to be very upset. So if you would. Spread, He'll go right into spread, the tank. It will take us freaking 21 want, days to we, pull him out of the to, depths of despair. Nobody want, loves me. Watch. Nobody watches our podcast. <laughs> Poor me. He'll come clomping into the office. We suck. We suck. So we we you hope watch that the you podcast help us out. We here. hope that you derive as much satisfaction. And I w- I will close by asking you to think of it in terms of those three things that I said. You know, we want to laugh a little. Laughter. We want to cause you to think a little, and a little we'd love you thinking. to be moved by tears, moved to tears by some of the stuff that we're saying. And uh, you know, those things would be really important to us. So if we can do You're that, here. that would be cool. You're here. Are we out? I think so. We got to come up with some wrap up, though. Something, you know, cool. Something recovery cool. COVID out. COVID out. <laughs> <laughs> COVID out. Click. Are we cut? cut?